Hello, hello. We're back, baby. Welcome to episode three of The Bentley Show. I am your host, Scott Bentley, featuring my drug rug, which I think is a massive fashion statement and I love dearly. One of my favorite articles of clothing, actually, for those watching on YouTube. You can see my phenomenal... This thing's like as old as me. Hand-me-down season. It's like my favorite article of clothing, honestly. Easily my favorite non-sports article of clothing I own. Easily. And I feel like you can tell why. I mean, look at this thing. It's got like racing stripes. Oh, it's so hard. Coldest thing I own. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Again, um, the the support I've received over the first two episodes has been unreal. I could not be happier. And uh, yeah, it, it's motivation for me to keep doing these if I didn't already have enough. Uh, the, the amount of people that have reached out and said they like it and the, and the numbers that, that people are listening, um, that almost made sense. The numbers of listeners, the stats of the amount of listeners we have is... Uh, is amazing and, and more than I ever thought was going to happen uh, two episodes in. So I'm ecstatic and I love doing these and you guys make me even more motivated and like doing them even more because I know people actually care about it. So that's awesome. Um, nothing housekeeping wise. So we can just hop right into it. We don't have to waste time five minutes at the beginning talking about nonsense. Hop right into it. Uh, for starters, the order Again, it's gonna. I don't know if this is permanent or not, but for now, we're going to stick with Tigers, Pistons, Wings, and the Detroit Football Lions. Uh, then we'll wrap it up. So, let's just hop right into it. Why not? not? Not a whole lot of games played in the Detroit sports world, but still plenty to talk about, especially being that there were only three episodes in. It's not like I, I can't, don't have a grab bag of stuff to, to go back on and, and, and talk about. So, with the Detroit Baseball Tigers, because we're trying to make that a thing, even though it's not. Uh, they officially signed Derek Holland to a minor league deal. Um, Derek Holland is is Derek Holland. <laughs> it's the best way I can describe the man, in all honesty. Uh, he's a lefty, so he holds... Like, if he was a righty, I don't think he'd be in baseball anymore. I think that's pretty... Like, he hasn't had a sub-six ERA in, like, three years. So that's fun. Right up our alley, for sure. Definitely fits the uh, the mold of, of players we're trying to, to, to th- the product that we're trying to throw out there. Um, he's, he's, he's a former starter. Back in the day, he was a starter. He's more of a reliever now, long reliever type guy. Um, and honestly, some people think that he might try to compete for the closer role, which is absurd. And not only is it absurd just because he's not very good anymore, but more importantly and more excitingly, um, AJ Hinch has said that it's there's not going to be one guaranteed. This is our ninth inning guy, at least at the start of the season, which I love because we don't have anyone good enough to do that. So I'm totally fine with it. And, and honestly, um, you know, guys that are more into the advanced numbers of the sport, like A.J. Hinch, especially more than Gardenhire ever was, um, kind of realize that the the pure closer is, is kind not, I don't want to say dying, um, but it is not uh, as vital 
as some may think. Like, going based on matchups and going based on what the numbers tell you is way smarter than just having one dude. Unless it's Mariano Rivera, right? Or, or you know, I, I don't know, 2011 Jose Valverde. Um, there, there are a couple exceptions to the rule, obviously, but, you know, Trevor Hoffman, whatever. But, for the most part, uh, it makes more sense to just go based on matchups and not just have one guy to be like, hey, no matter who's up and no matter what the situation is, you're going out there for the ninth. Like, like if the closer position didn't exist before you were a baseball fan, right? Imagine trying to start it. Like, and try, try and imagine yourself being the person that has to that is trying to explain to the baseball community that that position makes sense. Think about it. Hey man, I know we have all these crazy advanced numbers and baseball is one of the most uh, statistically advanced sports, the most statistically advanced sport there is. And we have all these numbers that tell us who should be up and what matchup and, and all this. Um, and you know, righty lefty splits and, and, and launch angle and hard hit percentage and all that. I know we have all this available to us. But um, ignore all of it, and we're just going to have one guy on the team that you just ignore all that, no matter what the situation is or who's up to bat, he's getting the entire ninth inning. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and, and you know, the position started in, in like the 40s and 50s, and even then, most people were still going complete games back then. It really didn't pick up steam until the, you know, the, those A's teams of the 70s, so like, um, it's, it's relatively speaking, it's a newer position anyway. It's just, I think, um, you know, at that time it, you know, all we had was batting average RBIs and home runs and that's it. NERA kind of, you know, people thought wins and losses for pitchers meant like determined how good of a pitcher you were like that it, totally different era statistically, but like in today's game, just separate everything you know about baseball and, and the closer position. Just just separate it all, all the past, I should say, of it. And just think about how kind of ridiculous it is in its own right. Like, it's it's kind of weird. You know, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. So, uh, I'm totally fine with the whole, hey, we're going to go situationally based on who I think is best. And, and like I said, there are some people who are good enough relievers to just get the ball in the ninth inning, no matter what. But those are guys who are so good that the advanced numbers agree that they are the best person you should go to in your entire bullpen. You know what I mean? We don't we don't have that luxury. We don't, we don't have anybody on this team who's so much better than everyone else on the team that they should just get the ball no matter what. So, long story short, rambling shortened, uh, I Derek Holland is whatever. He's going to have like a 6 ERA because he's had a 6 ERA like three years in a row. And, um, yeah, so the bullpen, though, is actually a, a – he got a minor league deal, but odds are pretty good. He makes it out of camp, I'd say. He'll be in Detroit at some point in the season. I'll, I'll say that at a minimum. Um, but talking about the bullpen, staying on, on course there, the bullpen is actually – a loan, not loan. It's a, 
how do I word this? It's a rare bright spot. Like we are, we are known for having a a just. You know, you could argue that if the 2010 to 14 team had a good bullpen, we walk out of that era with two rings. You know what I mean? Um, so, but we we know we know what comes with the territory of a bad bullpen all all too well here in the Motor City. Um, but last year, this actually this bullpen was kind of a, a bright spot. I, I was actually pleasantly surprised with how well this bullpen did. Um, if we just take a look, like Brian Garcia had a pretty good year, and he's going on his age twenty six season. I want to say uh, so. Bri- that's a that's a, a a bright spot, a diamond in the rough, rather a uh, guy that that wasn't. Uh, most of these guys are. Most of these guys are, are guys that weren't really supposed to be much, and and actually had a pretty productive season. So Brian Garcia is one. Brian Garcia is interesting because he doesn't strike people out. Which, in today's era of baseball, it's very hard to see a relief pitcher who doesn't strike people out be successful. You still have your occasional, even start, like really any pitcher that doesn't strike people out, you're kind of like, wow, that's that's weird for today's age of baseball. However, even with starters, sometimes you can be like, okay, you know, like, like Hendricks in Chicago, you're like, okay, like he's the exception to the rule kind of thing. Or like, uh, like prime Rick Porcello even. Um, not saying that he deserved that Cy Young cause he didn't, but, um, it, you know, there are, there are slight exceptions to the rule. This guy is a reliever. Relievers are supposed to be your, I'm going to empty the gas tank and throw a hundred miles an hour and strike out three guys and go back into the pen. You know what I mean? You don't, you don't want to be a reliever that's getting people on base. It's a little more justifiable as a starter cause you're trying to work over a long, you know, six, seven innings, ideally. Um, but as a reliever, man, you really just want someone to come out, shut down, and not let anybody on base. So it, it's interesting to have a, a pitch-to-contact reliever that, that did as well as he did in, in 2020. Um, he had the curse everybody else had, where as soon as he got the ninth inning roll, he kind of struggled a little bit. But when he wasn't in the ninth roll, he was actually okay. Um, we'll see how he goes. Small sample size, but he looks solid. But his advanced metrics are weird because he doesn't strike people out. So he's a huge question mark, okay? Uh, we're going to save the next one for last because he's my favorite person ever. Uh, Buck Farmer continues to do Buck Farmer things, man. Second longest tenured Tiger. Uh, he, you know, he's solid. If he keeps putting up the numbers he's been putting up the last couple of years, he will keep earning a spot on this team and be a solid middle reliever, which is perfectly fine. Every team needs that. Buck Farmer's been, like I said, he's the second longest tenured player on the team, believe it or not. Um, he's been a staple here for for a while. Sure, I love Buck. Why not? Why not? Why not keep him keep him aboard? And assume, assuming he maintains the production he has the last two or three years, I'm perfectly fine with keeping him around as long as he keeps putting up those numbers. Um, Jose Cisnero is an interesting one. He's a little bit older. He's already in his early mid thirties. Um, however, this was kind of his first year of like a full. I mean, I hate calling 2020 even a full season because it wasn't. But but being on the team for a, a full year and getting work, um, we gave him a chance. And uh, he made the most of it. He looked really good. This is I Personally, I don't think you're ever going to get anything for him. I don't think this is a tradable guy. Some people want us to like move him at the deadline or whatever. 
he's like 32. Or like 33. Like he, this is, I don't think anyone's taking a 33-year-old who just had his first good season. And, and if we are, we're definitely not getting anything remotely noteworthy for him. We're going to get like a, a team's like 50th ranked prospect or whatever. So like, I honestly, I'd probably rather just hold on to him. Why not? You know, why not? Why not just have a, a nice, solid bullpen piece back there as long as he keeps producing? Um, Daniel Norris and Tyler Alexander, I'm going to do together. Both of them, uh, when in the bullpen, were very good. Now, Lord knows, Ron Gardenhire loved to make them starters for some reason, and they suck as starting pitchers. So... I have way more faith in Hinch than I ever had in Gardy. That being said, if either of these two MFers ever starts a game, I'm going to freak out. They are so good as relievers. Their stats are so good as relievers, as long relievers, even as piggyback starters. If you Daniel Norris flourished in the role of being the 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 main innings eater following an opener, which is fine. If you want Fulmer to give up nine runs in two innings and then go to Norris and have him pitch shutout ball the next five, fine. As long as neither of them start a game, I'm cool. Keep them in the pen. That's where they belong, and they're really good there. They're actually very good, and they're both lefties. Keep them in the pen. Keep them in the pen. Two great pieces, though. Uh, Ronnie Garcia should never see a major league mound ever again. I hope uh, he is. Oh, my gosh, Ronnie Garcia. For those who follow me on Twitter, which I'm assuming is most of you, you guys remember my rule um, during the regular season in 2020 where I would make my post-game Tigers videos Whenever Ronnie Garcia entered a game, because in my eyes, the game was over the second he took the mound. The second Ronnie Garcia stepped on the mound, the game was over. We were either, it was either a close game that he made a blowout, or he was only going on the mound because it was a blowout. And I I pray he never wears an old English D ever again. He's one of the worst pitchers I've ever seen. Um, Who's left? Okay, I saved the... Two biggest ones for last. Um, we'll go Joe Jimenez first. This is a prove-it year. This is the prove-it year, actually. Um, dude's got to figure it out. Had a pretty solid rookie year. Very hyped coming through the minors. Was supposed to be our closer of the future. Has not been good since his rookie season. Since the first half of his rookie season, I should say. All-Star is a rookie. All-Star is a rookie, and he's been pretty, pretty garbage since. And especially in 2019 and, and 20, he's been he's been very bad. He's been very bad. Um, and I, I, I hate to rip on him because I really like him as a person. Seems like a good guy. And he's got a competitive drive. You can tell. He gets emotional on the mound. He gets emotional in the post games. He, he, he gets riled up when he gets a save. You know what I mean? I really want him to succeed because I think he's a great personality. But it's not good, man. 
it's not looking good. It's 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 really too bad. Uh, so this is a prove a year for him. He'll absolutely get a roster spot just because we're horrible. So like he he will, um, and he'll get plenty of opportunity as well. It's not like he'll be like babied into anything. Like I think everybody is aware of this, including him, that this is his prove a year, and he's got to you know nut up or shut up. So um, hopefully we can get the Joe Jimenez we were all six, expecting three years ago when he got called up. And the last one. My boy, my boy, my boy, my boy. Oh, man. There are a few things on this planet I love more than Gregory Soto. Very few things. A lefty that throws 100 miles an hour with movement and has a nice slider. That man is the closer of the future. And I think he has the potential to be a guy that you just hand the ball over in the ninth inning to. And all the advanced numbers will be like, yeah, he's the best reliever on your team. There's no point to go to anybody else. I think Gregory Soto has potential to be that guy. And it's crazy because he came up through the system as a starter. He started off as a starting pitcher, and he was okay. He was he was one of the first, you know, when we first started to rebuild back in like 2015-16 era, when the wheels finally like first started coming off, he was like the starting pitcher. People were like, "Hey, man, this dude could if he comes up relatively soon, he could be some." Um, but he could never figure it out as a starter. They move him to the pen. Turns out he can throw a hundred when he's only pitching an inning, and it's like a sinker. Which, if it was uh, if he was a pure sinker baller, that would worry me because that's a pitch to contact pitch. But because it's a hundred miles an hour and it sinks, it's okay. Most sinkers are low nineties and they're meant for ground ball. His goes 100 and moves. It's basically a moving, it's like a reverse two-seam, basically. It's perfectly fine. I love it. I love it. Okay. Gregory Soto's the man. If He he, he has some command issues, absolutely. His, his walk numbers are, are not ideal. Um, but every other advanced metric is, is pretty damn solid, man. I think the sky's the limit for him. He's, he's 25 years old. Whoo. I think he could be something, man. I'm really excited about Gregory Soto. Those who follow me know my my love for, for Gregory Soto. Okay, and all this is highlighted by the fact that we now have Chris Fetter as our pitching coach, which is phenomenal because he's one of the best in the world at his job. I cannot wait. And then somewhere in that bullpen you see Derek Holland, who, I, again, I don't really have much to say about Derek Holland. He's maintained a 6 ERA for like three years now. You can go watch his Twitch streams. He has like 250,000 followers on Twitter because he's a Twitch streamer. So I guess there's that. Bringing some some gaming to the Metro Detroit area. I don't know, man. I don't really care. But that is the bullpen outlook. And um, really, that like I said, the bullpen was a kind of a, a surprising bright spot with this team last year. The bullpen was actually a lot better than people expected and was okay and, and really was one of the main reasons that we, um, we went on that little, little streak there where we were kind of almost in contention in early September was because of, of how good the bullpen was. So if the starters can reach their ceilings, I have a lot of faith that the bullpen will follow suit. All right, your Detroit Basketball Pistons. Again, Jeremy Grant's an all-star. Now, vote. Vote, 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 vote. Tweet the hashtag thing. Vote online. However you vote, 
vote Jeremy Grant. If he doesn't make the All-Star game, I will be beyond disappointed, okay? Um, he deserves it, and then some. Now, the actual Pistons did not play um, two nights ago, because you're hearing this on Wednesday. So they didn't play Monday. Um I am recording this before the scheduled game for Tuesday night, so I don't know if that game it was due to COVID tracing. So like we didn't play the Nuggets Monday. I don't know the the status for for in my world tonight's game, um, but there's still Pistons basketball. I, you know, I just love talking about Pistons basketball because it's Pistons basketball. Uh, so even though we don't have games to recap, uh, I really just wanted to put out officially onto this podcast my opinion of the Pistons' future, okay? For those watching me, I love to talk with my hands if you can't figure that out by now. Um, I, I love the core of this team, and I think it's really important for me early on in this show's existence to get my opinion of the future of all these teams out there, okay? So I'm slowly kind of breaking down the, the Tigers, and, and I, don't, I don't think I've really expressed my opinion towards this rebuild and the move we've made moves we have made and such toward the Pistons yet. So I want to do that. And I want to get that on record and on air just so that everybody kind of knows where I stand so that in the future when I do talk about the Pistons and games played and certain players and stuff, you know where I stand on them, okay? The Pistons core has me unbelievably excited and I love it. I love it. Um Killian being hurt sucks, but I think that here's the thing with Killian. Okay, we'll we'll just make the rounds. We'll start talking about people individually. Let's just make the rounds here. Killian, obviously, the the first pick we had in this draft of of four players eventually taken, four rookies on this team, man. Geez. Um But Killian. I love Killian. Here's the thing with Hayes, man. Uh if he can figure out how to put ball in hoop, he will be an incredible player in this league. Because his playmaking and and ball handling is unreal already. His playmaking is phenomenal. His vision, his passing, his, his, his anything that has to do with setting people up, he's already phenomenal. And even in the short time we, we saw that when it looked like he was struggling because, again, he's having a hard time scoring, um... The playmaking has translated. He looks really good. And and he also, before he got hurt, he wasn't really ever given the reins of being like, hey, run the offense. It was just kind of like, you know, the ball would be passed to him and then he'd set somebody else up kind of thing. And, you know, he, he was never he was never like offense is revolving around you, which for a teenager is probably fair. But I guess what I'm saying is, uh, you know, obviously I love to ramble. What I'm saying is, He's so young, so young, literally a teenager, okay? He's so young, and his, it, it will come. It will come, man. He's got a lot of development yet left. It will come. The playmaking has translated. That was his biggest reason for being drafted as high as he was, was because of how good of a playmaker he was, how good of a point guard he was. Um, he's never going to be a, a top scorer on a playoff team. But that's okay. We don't need him to be. If the rebuild goes according to plan, we will never need him to be that. 
I'm not, and, and look, I'm not asking for like Steve Nash MVP, like only 15 points a game, but damn near 15 assists a game too. Like I, I'm not saying that's the kind of play, but like if he can just get to that like 13 to 17 points a game mark, but have damn near 10 assists a night, he's going to be so valuable. He's going to be so valuable, especially for guys like Grant and guys like Bay, those catch-and-shoot shooters like Sadiq. Um, even the pick-and-roll guy, like that Hayes and Stewart pick-and-roll I think is going to be lethal. Um, I'm, I'm still so high on him, even though people weren't very impressed with how, um, with how his, his scoring has translated. Okay, The scoring, it'll be fine. Okay, it'll be fine. He's still super young. It'll be fine. Now, next, let's go to Sadiq Bay. Why not? Uh, Sadiq's the man. He's built for the league. He's built for the league, man, for real. I am so pumped about Sadiq as well. Um, I don't expect him to ever be some elite, you know, player, like top, you know, 20 player in the league type of guy. But, um, He's going to be a really solid rotation piece for a long time. Like like sixth man. Uh, like Honestly, I, I could see him being like a sixth man of the year type of guy. Or even a low-end starter. I mean, you know, we're, we're a rebuilding bad team. He's probably going to get some starting minutes at some point if he keeps progressing the way he is. But I, I love it. I love him. I love his style of play. Uh Again, these are all rookies, so they all got work to do, and he, he's still got a ways before he reaches his ceiling. But I've liked what I've seen so far. Shooter, shoot. He's a shooter. Uh, he can be a nice 3 and D guy. A nice 3 and D guy. He, and, and the thing about him is he's, he's so versatile because he can play like anywhere from the 2 through the 4, honestly, which is so valuable. Especially, again, off the bench, being that key rotation piece where no matter where you're needed in the rotation, whether it's at the 2, 3, or 4, you can pop in and play. That's so valuable. That's so valuable. I, 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 think, um, I think he's going to – I would say my opinion of him is, again, I just think he's built for the league, man. I think he's built to be an NBA player. And I think he's built to be an NBA player for a long time. Like, I think he – you know – you could say this about anyone, but barring injury, like I could see him having legit like a 15-year career. Even if he's never some elite player, I just think he's built to play basketball, man. I really like the pick, and I really like him being a, a really solid rotational piece for a long time. Isaiah Stewart's my love. He's the love of my life. Isaiah could make me emotional. <laughs> I love that man. You know, when I was talking about Gregory Soto, same thing with Isaiah Stewart, man. There are very few things in this world that I love more than Isaiah Stewart. He's my hubby. The dude, like, how can you not love a guy where, where within like a week of getting drafted by the Pistons, he's like, oh yeah, I've already rewatched uh, the Bad Boys documentary and the, uh, the Going to Work Pistons 04 doc too. Oh. So that's what you're about. All right. And, and he's already gotten in, like, several, I don't want to call them confrontations, but, like, he don't play no games on the court, baby. He don't play no games. Isaiah Stewart's the man. He is the man. I love him to death. He's got a lot of work to do offensively, uh, but I haven't seen anyone rebound with 
that much aggressiveness since probably Big Ben. Probably since since three. Like, like Drummond got boards, but Drummond didn't get bored. Like, Drummond didn't lay people out and jump out of the gym to try to get boards. Drummond got boards because he's he's athletic and seven feet tall and missed 87 shots at the rim, so he kept getting his own rebound. Like, Isaiah Stewart, he's, you know, I hate the Rodman comparison because I feel like every good rebounder the Pistons have ever had gets compared to Rodman, but, like, he does look like that a little bit, man. He really kind of looks like the worm a little bit. Tipping and, and, and bullying people and boxing. Like, he looks damn good on the boards. He needs to work on the offense a lot. Needs to, needs to take some strides on defense as well. He's a bit of an undersized center, so that's some work that, that needs to be done, absolutely. Um, but I love him. I'm all about it. I love him to death. Uh, yeah, offensively, he just needs work. His field goal percentage for like an under-the-basket center is, is not great. We'll just put it that way. Um, I really like Lee, too. Uh, Saving Lee, I really like him. Uh, I'm not sure what kind of player we're looking at there. Obviously, he's an athletic freak. Um, but as far as what kind of role he'll have on, on an NBA team or on this team in the future, I really don't know. He's kind of the wild card in the group. Um, I'm glad that, you know, obviously it came at the expense of uh, of Killian getting hurt. But I'm glad that we get to see his minutes a little bit more. I think they're going to try to maintain his, like, two-way contract status to save some money. So I don't expect him to be available a lot of nights. Um, it's kind of like redshirting a player in college. If he doesn't, pl- if he's not on the active roster for X amount of games, then they save some money and he maintains his two-way status. So I expect that to be the direction or the 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 playing time that he's going to get the rest of the year. I expect that to be um, a big factor in that. But when he does play, I, you know, he's athletic. He's athletic, and and athleticism is obviously huge. Um, Finishing around the rim is going to be something he has to work on because with his athleticism, he could be a, a killer, you know, drive and kick or drive and finish kind of guy, a nice little cutter. Um, and obviously, athleticism for the most part uh, breeds defense. So if he can be a solid cut and defend guy, you know, rotational piece, that's awesome. Uh, he's a wild card man, I, but I really like him. I like the pick for a second rounder with somebody with that much raw tools. Absolutely, why not, man? Um, so, the core as a whole, I'll wrap up with this. I, I, I'm i not sure. Mm, I could say it with probably Isaiah and maybe Killian. Um, not all four of these guys are going to be starters when we're good again. But I am rather confident, like way more confident than I usually am in any of these teams' front offices, that all four of these guys will be part of the rotation when we are relevant again. And that's all that matters. I still think we're obviously, Lord knows we're still several pieces away. Because even with Jeremy Grant, who's putting up all-star numbers, we are still one of the worst teams in basketball. Um, Obviously, health will be a big factor. But I'm super excited about this team. And I think, honestly, I think that this team might be the closest to returning to the postseason out of any of the four teams. Because I feel like when you have a core of, of five people, 
that you can confidently say, hey, all these, you know, in a 15-man roster, the fact that you can point to, you're a rebuilding team that's one of the worst in basketball, but you can point to five guys in this locker room and say, you five are, I can almost confidently and assured, assure, I am, I can almost assure you <laughs> that these five guys will be on the team when we're good again. That's that's something a lot of rebuilding teams don't have, man. So I'm very excited for the future. No matter what role these guys play, I, I think I think the Pistons' direction is very intriguing and encouraging, and I truly think they might be the closest to contention again out of all four teams. Also, Weaver. Shout, shout out, Weaver, man. Shout out, Troy Weaver. He said, he said, I keep that clip empty. That's my GM, baby. What a go. What a go for that line. I keep my clip empty. Ain't no, ain't no, ain't no thing. Don't worry about me. I keep my clip empty. I love him. I love him to death. Uh, okay, next up, your Detroit Hockey Red Wings. Um, let's see here. Well, for starters, uh, we're still very bad. Um, roster moves. There's been a couple of roster moves. Revsmusen is to Grand Rapids. Which is a little surprising. A, he's been, you know, he's supposed to be one of the guys that is, um, how do I word it? I'm not going to say he's one of the guys that's like the leader of the of the rebuild or anything. But he's definitely a young piece that most people expected to get a lot of playing time and kind of prove himself. So him going to, going to GR is kind of, I don't even know if concerning is the right word. Um, because it, it's weird. Cause he, it's not like he was playing poorly. Um, I don't know. It's a weird situation. It'll be something to keep an eye on. Absolutely. See how he performs there. Um, and, and look with, with how much COVID stuff is going around still in the protocols, I have no doubt that he will play that he's going to get called back up at a very minimum or, or, or play again in LCA uh, relatively soon just because of the the amount of protocols and people sitting out and, and taxi squad and all that jazz. So um, I'm sure that he will get another opportunity. It's just weird the timing of it. You know, we, we get a group of people coming back from COVID protocol but then we also have Burt, who's out for like four to six games, and Zadina's out still until Friday. I don't know. It's weird timing to be like, hey, one of our young pieces uh, that some people still think pretty – not um, – I have to watch my wording. That some people still uh, want to see on the ice and see what he's capable of, we're going to send him straight to GR. That's a little weird to me. But that being said, it, you know, I'm not losing sleep over it, whatever. Um, it, you know, it's not like we, we just sent down like, I don't know, Mantha or Bert or something like, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, uh, it's a, I don't even know how to, how to word it. I don't even know how to express what I'm thinking in my head, but it, my point is it's not the end of the world and he will absolutely get another chance. And maybe this is more of just like a kick in the pants than anything else. Like, hey man, you gotta like start nutting up or shutting up. It's it's time to it's time to prove what you're worth. Um, so I, I'm not ready to call him a bust yet, uh, but it's definitely a weird move. 
I guess I can't really tell if I'm the reason I'm having a hard time articulating this is because I can't tell if I'm disappointed yet or not. Like I might I might be okay with the move. I might support the decision, but I can't tell from a pure roster movement decision, but I can't tell if I'm disappointed in him like as, as a as a draft pick, as a as a player or a part of the future yet. I don't know. I go back and forth. So that's something to keep an eye on. Next, Tony D'Angelo, absolutely not. No. Look, and this is not even a political thing, man. I promise you it's not. I'm going to keep that, you know, at at bay as much as possible with these, okay? I I I've my Hall of Fame ballot had Kurt Schilling on it, okay? That so I I'm not here to to judge people or to say, you know, I don't want you or you don't deserve this because you're a bad person. I'm not the moral police, okay? That being said, all the baggage that comes with him is not worth it. It's not. I don't care. I really don't care. Like, I know he's he's young. He's like 24, 25. And he put together the best year of his career last year. And Lord knows we need defense. I understand that the fit on paper is there. I know people on social media are already all over it. I don't want it, man. I don't want the, the circus that's going to come with it. I don't want the media parade that's going to follow it. I don't want all the backlash from the fans that's going to come with it. Um, I feel like we run an incredibly tight ship here. And that's this. the Red Wings are the only team I can say that about. The only team in this city that runs such a tight professional ship is the Detroit Red Wings. And I don't want to risk that. I don't want... I, look, man, he, he got in a fight with somebody on his own freaking team and called a teammate a slur. Like, that's that's not the, the kind of foundation we're trying to build. And, and this carries over to my next co- conversation topic. That's the phrase. It'd be one thing if we had a head coach that I could look at and be like, I trust this dude to get D'Angelo's act together, and I trust that he is not going to, uh, that he's going to be able to wrangle him in, and that this clubhouse is not going to get toxic by bringing him in. But this has just, this comment of me not wanting him has, I'm not going to say just as much, because I feel like that's a little too insulting uh, to, to Blashill as a person, but like, this has this has a lot to do with the person we have in charge too. Though a lot to do with the person behind the bench as well. I don't trust Blashill. I want I want Blashill fired as is. I think his his time has come. You know what? He played the garden hire role. He got us through the horrible times when we were terrible and could barely put together an NHL product on the ice. He got us through that era. You know, he got to coach his favorite team growing up. Have fun, bud. You know what? Thank you for all your services. Thanks for being the scapegoat the last three years when we've been horrible. More power to you. Here's a care package with a candy bar in it, and you're on your merry way. Like, Blashill is not the guy that's going to take us to contention again. I don't think he has the locker room under control enough. 
at all, period, nonetheless, to bring in D'Angelo. Okay? So it's a double-edged sword there. I don't know if that's the right expression. I have two problems. I have two major red flags when it comes to that to that situation. A, D'Angelo's a douche, and I don't want him on my team. Um, and I don't want I don't want everything that comes with him to then be in our team. We haven't looked good, but the players look like they enjoy playing with each other. The lock, you know, and we're not flies on the wall. I'm not a reporter. I'm not in there. I guess I don't know. But they look like they're having a lot more fun playing currently than they ever did last year or the year before. And we finally have some good veteran pieces. Bobby Ryan seems like everybody loves him. We finally have a captain. We finally have a locker room that is starting to head in the direction of a competent organization, a competent locker room, and a high chemistry locker room. Take a drink every time I say locker room. I do not trust Blaschel enough to keep it under control with the addition of D'Angelo. And obviously, I don't trust D'Angelo to randomly wake up one morning and get his shit together. Pardon my French. Okay? So, that's really the biggest news in hockey was D'Angelo. Um... Ross got sent down. Blaschel, yeah, like, long story short, I, I want him gone. Like I said, I, I really think he was just the guy to get us through the dark ages because no one else in their right mind would ever like, be the HC of this team. He got us through the dark ages. We want to start trending up again. Let's get, let's find, let's find the head coach that's going to be the head coach when we are making the playoffs again. It's time. We're trending up. The kids are going to start coming up this year and next year. The rebuild, we're trying to get, exit the rebuild. We hit the lowest, we hit as far down as we can go. It's time to start trending up again. I think that starts a lot with head coach. But giving Larkin the C was obviously a huge step in the right direction for that process as well. Okay. I think that's all I got for, for the winged wheels over there. Uh, the Detroit Hockey Red Wings. Uh, so last up. Oh. Your Detroit football Lions. Today we're going to talk about what to do at 7. What to do at 7. There's a few different ways to go. Uh, I love this conversation. I'm super intrigued by it. Always. Um, Yeah. I, I guess I'll start with my perfect scenario. My perfect world scenario. And then we'll kind of branch off that and go into all the the different chaos scenarios and things that could possibly happen. Um, But I think there's, in my opinion, I I have what I want to do. Um, Yeah, okay. So so I have, obviously, who's taking the six spots ahead of us determines what I want to do at seven. But I'm going to give you my dream scenario, Okay. The player I want falls to seven. We get him, and then what we do the rest of the draft. All right? Here's my dream scenario. Wow, Jeff Bezos just stepped down as the Amazon CEO. Seems weird. Anyway, (laughs) back to Detroit sports. Um, Okay, my dream scenario. Okay, are you ready? Pick seven. We don't trade up. We don't trade any of the future picks to trade up. We stay at seven. Okay? For starters, we're going to start with that. Okay? 
We have pick seven. It's our only pick in the first round. Now, then what? Well, let me enlighten you. Okay? I'm, I'm a U of M fan. I'm a Wolverine fan. However, there's a man by the name of Justin Fields where if he were to fall to seven, I'd be very upset if we passed on him. Now, people are like, hey, he can't throw yet. Uh, he's not ready to be in the NFL, blah, blah, blah. You know what? That's crazy because he wouldn't be starting for at least three years. Because we have a man, a man by the name of Jared Goff already running the ship. Okay, here's what I want. I want Fields to fall to seven. I want us to take Fields at seven. I want him to be the backup for two years. Then when Goff's guaranteed money goes away after the end of 2022 and his cap hit goes from like $20 million to $5 million, you cut him. Or... He's cheap now, so maybe he's worth backup money. You flip him, Fields gets the nod in opening day of 2023, right? It's currently 2021. Yeah. Week one of 2023, Fields is your starter. It's game time. And that's not to say that you can't run some cool-ass packages over the next couple of years. Like, I'm not saying, you know, if he outplays golf, obviously pull the trigger earlier. Like I said, I don't really care about Jared Goff. I said this in episode two. People are way too hung up on Jared Goff being part of this trade. It's really not a big deal. It's just because of the contracts, okay? It's really not a big deal. If Field starts outplaying him, you have the most expensive backup of all time, cool. The guaranteed money still goes away after 2022. You can still get rid of them then. It's really not a big deal. So, I want Fields at 7. Worst case scenario. Worst case scenario is um, he doesn't pan out. He's not good. You still have Goff, who's a, who's a, you know, say what you will about the man. He was a starting quarterback. On a team that made the Super Bowl. I don't care if they scored three points. That offense was fantastic during the regular season. He's been there. Okay, So at a bare minimum, Fields doesn't turn out. He's a massive flop. Damn, that sucks. We still have a starting quarterback for the next four years at least. Okay, Now, what? that's my dream scenario. What if Fields doesn't fall to seven? Which is possible. If Fields doesn't fall to seven, okay, I'll start with this. I don't want any other QB at seven. Obviously, unless some magic draft day situation happens and Trevor Lawrence fell to seven, obviously, yes. But, realistically, anybody not named Fields or Lawrence, I do not want at seven. I'm not a big, uh, what's-his-face from BYU. I'm blanking on his name, which is pretty embarrassing. Not a big fan. I'm really not. Um, I and and here's why. A. He didn't uh, he, look. He's got the raw talent. I'm not trying to come on here and just slander the kid for no reason. Okay. But uh, Zach Wilson's his name. That being said, um, there's been several 
scouting reports about him just being like a rich, spoiled brat kid that doesn't own the locker room. Now, scouting reports are wrong. And every single player that's ever been drafted in the history of the NFL has had some something bad written about them before the draft. That's the whole point of scouting, okay? This is a lot of draft day quotes, a lot of Bo Callahan moments, okay? But I'm just saying they could be wrong. They could just be haters. I don't know. But the fact that multiple people have written that report is a little concerning. I'm not sure that translates very well into the NFL. Who am I to say? I've never met him. I've never been in the locker room. Sure. But at seven overall, I really don't think three quarterbacks are going in the top ten. And this might be another, you know, this might be another clip it. And 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 just like the Stafford take I had, I, I clipped this. And, you know, four months from now after the draft, I look like an idiot. That's totally possible. I look like an idiot pretty often. But I don't think we have to worry about, you know, three or even four, depending on your opinion of Trask, like quarterbacks going in the first ten picks. If you really want one of those two guys, trade back, load up even more on the later rounds, take him then. If Zach Wilson's really your guy, I don't want you to take him at seven. Now, I sa- this is basically copy and paste what I said about Okuda last year. I want Simmons, but if your heart is set, if you're dead set on Jeff Okuda, fine, don't take him at three. Because no one inside the top seven was taking a cornerback. Now, I trust this front office a lot more. Maybe not a lot more. I don't have a reason to not trust this front office yet. I'll put it that way. Okay? Uh, That's probably a better way to put it. So, we'll see what happens. Um, Other scenarios that could happen. We could, and I would actually be kind of okay with this. I talked about this a little bit in episode two, but I would really kind of be all right with this. Um, I would be okay, in theory, with us not taking a QB at seven and taking defense and or wide receiver. That wide receiver would have to be like Waddle or Devontae, though. Um, I would be okay with us taking receiver or defense at seven and then using like a second or even one of our two third rounders on a quarterback, taking a chance on a guy. We, we, we do not need to take a quarterback if we don't want to, if the evaluation team is up there and they're looking at this draft and they don't believe in any of the quarterbacks, we shouldn't, there is no reason to light the city of Detroit on fire and riot because we don't take a quarterback this year. We have a con- a quarterback under contract for four years, and he's only 26. We have a 26-year-old QB under contract for the next four seasons. We don't need a quarterback if we don't want one. Now, as stated, my ideal scenario is Fields falls to us and we get him, but If the organization doesn't think any of the QBs on the board in this draft, whenever our pick comes up for any round, is really that great, it's not a big deal. We have like three years of drafts 
to be able to find our like actual like this is our QB of the future type guy. I don't think it's golf. I'm not trying to sell you that it is golf. I'm not trying to tell you that it is golf. I don't think it's golf. I don't think this organization believes Jared Goff is the QB of the future and is going to be the quarterback of the Lions for the next 10 years. I don't think that, and I don't think the organization thinks that. That being said, at a bare minimum, we are not in a rush to find his his, uh, successor. We're not. We have him under contract for four years. So, if we don't like any QBs this year, that's fine. If we don't like any QBs this year or next year, that's still fine. We have set ourselves up so well in, in a situation where if somebody is available at our pick that our front office and our draft guys like, we have the flexibility to take him and we can groom him for a couple of years. And if we don't, it's not a big deal. It ain't no thing. We just don't take one and we still have our starting quarterback because no matter, unless it's Trevor Lawrence, no matter who we draft this year, they're not starting in 2021 and likely 2022. It's not a huge deal. We don't have to take a QB. And that's great flexibility to have. Even though, like I said, in my perfect world, we do take one at seven. Still not a big deal if we don't. I want to stress that. I would be perfectly fine with with all defense and wide receivers. I'd love that. You told me all eight of our picks were all defenders slash wide receivers. I'd be ecstatic. I'd be ecstatic. Um, yeah. So there's there's a lot of places to go. the The defense. Um, the mock drafts for defense are wild. They're all over the place. Nobody even knows which way is up. We got, we got like, uh, not not harassment, but um, what's the word I'm looking for? Hazing. We got hazing like charges against like top linebackers. Uh, kid from Penn State. Um, and defense is hard to grade. We obviously we already took a cornerback at three overall last year, so like. Odds of us doing taking secondary at seven, I would say, are not too great. But like, I wouldn't be surprised if we took one at some point in the draft. I don't know, man. They're and they set themselves up nicely. If they wanted to trade up, they're worried about it. They have five first rounders in the next two in the next three years, and they have two sec two third rounders. Wow, I can't do numbers today. They have two third rounders. This year, if they wanted to move up at any point tonight, tonight, like the drafts tonight, I'm really struggling through this one. If they wanted to move up at any point on draft night, they have the flexibility to do so. I'm really excited. We have the assets to move around if we want. We have the assets to stand pat and still get good returns. We have a general manager who... uh, his entire history and, and job leading up to this is all draft and, and college scouting. Um, I don't know, man. I'm pretty excited. I think there's a lot of different avenues we can go. And uh, I, I think that's a good problem to have. I'll end on that. It's a good problem to have uh, a lot of different positive uh, possibilities 
a lot of different positive roads to take than it is to be pigeonholed into one route that you have to take and if you screw up then you're hosed. It's really good to have all these possible avenues, we'll call them. Okay, um, I'm super pumped. That is it for the Lions, which means that is it for episode three of the Bentley Show. Thank you again so much for the support for the first two episodes. Um, we might get this one done in under an hour, which is now that I don't have like a million things to say at the beginning of every episode, uh, I think we're going to shoot for that. So... Thank you for your support. Thank you for listening again. Like I said, I, I can't believe that this is like a thing, honestly. Uh, thank you for, for, for those watching me on YouTube. Thank you for watching me and my, my fashion statement, my drug rug. Um, we are finally on Apple Podcasts. We are currently the only uh, straggler, we'll call it, um, the only one kind of lingering behind there is Google Play. We are slowly getting that up. It just, that one just takes a minute. So we're on Spotify, and it's just the Bentley Show no matter where you look it up. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Podbean. We're on YouTube, and we are almost on Google Play. Um, rate five stars. Even if you disagree with me, you know, I think I'm a pretty nice guy. So maybe even if even if you disagree and you're listening, you're like, this dude's an idiot. Why did I even click on this? You know what? I feel bad for him. Uh, <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't need a sympathy five-star. But thank you for downloading. Thanks for listening. Thank you for all the support. Truly, it is incredible. Um, yeah, peace and love. Going to therapy is dope. And I will catch you all Friday. That's the next one. I'll catch you all Friday. Uh, Peace and love. Go Detroit sports, baby.